Hey team, welcome to Transition Talk, where we talk about dental transitions and how to navigate the sometimes messy path to practice ownership. Well, in this episode today, we are going to cover a unique type of transition, the associate to 100% owner. It's super unique, and they're certainly not common. We uh, don't do a ton of these, but we have been doing a few more recently for various reasons that we're going to get in today. They can be a great asset to your practice. They can help provide comfort to maybe a nervous buyer or a nervous lender, and certainly can provide a good transition plan for you as a seller. So we're going to jump into kind of the whys and the hows and how to make that a good transition for your patients and staff. And excited to talk about this today. But first, Mr. Loretto, how are you? Well, great to see you, Christy. It was fun to hang out with you and Chris this past weekend and uh, have a little bread and maybe a little vino on the company expense now that we get to expense 100% of it. I mean, why not? Why not? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Good times. How's the team doing? Give me an update. I know they're busy, but uh, how's the team holding up? Yeah, you know, 2020 was just a little bit of growth for us as a team and had some new people join. And so if you're a seller out there and you're listening, you know, with new people come training and process and getting everyone on the same page. And the bigger your team gets, the more communication that we have to have and streamlining processes. But Everyone's doing fantastic. We are busier. I love it because we just get to help more people at the quality that we like to help them at, right? I mean, at a certain point, you kind of have to add people so you can keep doing what you do at the same level of quality and, and attention that your first client got. You want your 500th client to get that same level of quality. So we are doing really well. We're seeing more valuations come through. Definitely an uptick in kind of sellers wanting to transition, whether 100% or just bring on that associate that's been there for a while. So those are more complex. They require more time, but we've got a great team and and they're all one thing I love about all of our team is they really care about everyone we're working with and really kind of take it personally. And so um but good or bad, I love that about them. So well I was reviewing a evaluation this morning from your team and I'm just really proud of the evaluation work we do. I mean the, this particular one was fifty four pages and it was fifty four pages of content. There was no fluff. There was not a bunch of just crap. And there's a bunch of crap out there when you look at their valuations. People that just say, "Here's the price," and here's attachment of the fee schedule. Here's the attachment of the production provider report. And it's just a bunch of unnecessary fluff, so they can charge you x thousands of dollars. And so uh, I'll commend your team. I know when we first started this project, we're doing valuations. We were kind of looking at the valuation work around the country and trying to keep improving it. And it just continues to get better and better. So I'm certainly proud of your leadership and and proud of the individuals that you have continue to groom on that work. So anyway, great job on that. Listen, as you did this open, I don't know that the seller is 100% crystal clear. So can you just give us that overview again one more time of what this episode is going to be today? So instead of me just selling the business outright, what are we going to talk about today? Yeah, today we're going to talk about the unique transition plan which is when you have a buyer, essentially con as an associate, and they associate in your practice for some period of time before they purchase 100%. So it's a delayed walkaway sale. Definitely some things that are unique about that because you're not in a traditional walkaway sale, your staff, your patients, nothing really is signed. No one knows anything's happening for the most part until it happens. 
here, that buyer is going to be coming in your practice as an associate, treating patients, doing production, meeting staff, taking over maybe some responsibilities, and really kind of being in your practice prior to anything formally kind of happening. So it's unique. It doesn't work for everyone, but there are definitely that certain types of people and sellers and practices where this makes sense. But make no mistake about it. This is a clear 100%. This person's coming to office to buy. Not This is not a trial run. Hopefully it works out. Let's see how they do everything before they walk in this door from price, asset allocation, how long they're going to associate to the building, the lease, their work back, banking, every single condition you can imagine. It's laid out. But for some reason or another, the buyer or the seller or bank, and obviously we'll talk about these things that will cause this, everything's been laid out, but there's this reason why that one of these people are requiring this condition where they work a little bit before the actual close. Correct. Okay. And the thing I love about this task, this project, and even this episode is the fact that shows our out-of-the-box thinking to do this type of work. And the reason you don't see a lot of this is because it's a lot of work. There's a lot of work that has to go into executing something like this. Most brokers will never go down this road because if the buyer or whatever doesn't want to buy it or doesn't match up to this or that, then they just simply exit out and try to find somebody else so they can have a nice, clean, easy sell and just be done. But there are times when buyers and sellers do find each other on their own and they need to overcome this obstacle whatever that obstacle may be, to execute. And that could be just getting them in the practice and making them feel better about it. So anyway, this is definitely a cool subject. I know we do it a few times a year, and I think it's fun when it happens. I think about the buyers that we did and the sellers that we helped, and it's worked out great. So anyway, excited today. Yeah, and it's absolutely something, you know, we only do a few a year because it only makes sense for a few groups of people, right? Like, And just like any client we take on, I want to talk to the buyer or, you know, associate. I want to talk to the seller. And it has to be crystal clear on both sides what this is. There can't be hesitation on either side. It can't be that I'm not willing to commit or we'll see if it works out. Like this is what I'm doing. I just need it for a reason, right? And that that blank. And so we're going to talk about those two reasons, right? So we see this in two areas either because banking, right? So let's start there first because that's an easy outside party says, no, we need X and it's either liquidity or experience, right? And a lender really does, if you remember back to kind of our original conversations regarding lending, especially in the post-COVID world, they're going to want to see that you have a certain level of production experience or sometimes just experience, right? If you're a D4 coming out, I just need you to show a certain amount of work time and I need you to be doing a certain amount of work before I will give you the money, or I need you to save up a certain amount of liquidity, and therefore you have to work in order to do that. So a lender or banking kind of need for this is one of the main reasons that we'll kind of often see this as like the only option for person A to buy a seller's practice. Yeah. And look, remember, break it down by the numbers because I like to be the numbers guy. Big picture, million dollar practice. And you break down the clinical, it's $60,000 a month. There's 20 something in hygiene. And that's how you equate to this, this million dollars. So the bank, yes, is looking at what's the price? 800000 Okay. Let me see the financials. Let me see the overhead. That's a checkbox. And then for that young person that's coming in, which I can think of some of the people that we've helped through this process, they were younger. They perhaps in this example didn't have five, six, seven percent liquidity. They didn't have fifty to sixty thousand dollars saved. So that's the first thing they're gonna look at is this banking. Do they have the cash? And the bank says, well can they do the work? 
And then sometimes even the buyer says, I don't know if I can do the work. And so the conditions that the bank have are obviously really important because we don't want this transaction to happen and force it to happen and then just make it where the seller is going to be the bank in this example. It's really not a good financial plan for the seller, way too much risk to do that. So the banking has those requirements. We know what those are. And we're basically trying to share that with the buyer and seller. And then somehow they like and love each other. And we may have to force a relationship to get the buyer to maybe save some money, force a relationship to get that buyer in to do and prove to the bank that they can do some of these procedures. Yep. And this is you know a good example of this. We had a young D4 coming out of school, had a relationship with kind of a selling doctor. The selling doctor had, you know, a smaller practice. It was, I think, six, $700,000. So definitely not a two doctor practice. But in order for the buyer to buy, he had to be in the practice. He had an enough money, liquidity was not his issue, but he had to be there and prove out that he could do this level of production. And so, you know, the seller really had to take, and we'll talk about this in you know, a while, kind of how this is different and what the risks are, but the seller had to take a little bit of a leap of faith and say, okay, come in, I'll give you all the production. We can prove this out. And we, you know, had to have those conversations beforehand. We knew what the bank was asking. We know what our goals were. We kind of map it out and we just kind of waited and it worked out and he bought the practice and seller was able to kind of walk away and it was great, but it definitely took a little bit of pre-planning and a little bit of, okay, can you do this? Are you willing to do this? And then really kind of keeping in touch with the bank to make sure that hey, if everything else checks out, this is the only thing that would hold you back. Yes. Okay, perfect. Then let's focus on that one kind of issue and see if we can fix that with like an associateship before ownership transition. This was a 26-year-old man. I mean, this is a baby. This is somebody so young to me. You know, I'm, I'm the old guy. This could definitely be my child. And they're just finishing dental school and they are owning out of the gate. It's so exciting. Then you've got this 60-plus-year-old man and he He's nervous, like, why should I do this, this and that? And we just kept forcing that relationship and that love between them. And it worked out so amazing. They had so much fun with it. Both of them took risk through this. Uh, that he's coming, moving to this town. That's a risk for my buyer, for my associate. My seller is, is, is risk. He's telling the team, he's introducing them to patients. Wow, what big risk. But and then I think the practice was like 720, 750, price was around 550. So it's a big number for the bank and you didn't have any money. You had a little bit of money, not much. So we had to build out this plan. If you do the following for six, nine months and show that seller exactly why he had to give this guy the production and pay him because that's the conditions that the bank were going to require. And, you know, just to see their post and the staff having a lot of fun with kicking the old guy out and bringing the new one in, it's about time. And just some of the pictures they sent back to us. I mean, it really was fun to see kind of like, oh, we, we did a good job helping them. It's, I mean, we only do a small part here, but it feels so big, you know, when you make these accomplishments. But that was just going to be a deal that had to happen. If not, this young man was going to go to a different town and buy something else. So you got to be able to see and paint pictures for these people so that they can get over a lot of their objections and a lot of their emotions. Yep. And another reason this would make sense outside of lending, right? So sometimes these two things will go together, but sometimes they won't. The second reason we would do an associateship before ownership, right? So that buyer is the associate and then buys 100% is when you have a nervous buyer. They can be nervous for a lot of reasons. It can be that they don't have the confidence. Maybe you are a well-respected in the community. You maybe do a certain type of procedure that the buyer has only seen or done a few times and, and it's what you're known for. Maybe it's just that they are, don't have the confidence that they can own and do the business side. There's a lot of reasons, but confidence is a nervous buyer, right? If I just come in, 
I just need to see you run this practice for three to six months and then I'll buy it. That is another reason we see these associateship to ownership transitions happen. Another reason, and we'll talk about both of these together because I think sometimes they can go together. Another nervous buyer is the one who doesn't have the clinical skill or speed in order to do the work, right? I can't do as much as you. I'm not as fast as you. And so I think I can get there. I just need time to do that. That is another reason we'll have these associateship to ownership. So let's talk about those, break those two down. We've seen instances of both of those very much. Usually it's the clinical skill or speed, just because with some of our doctors who may have big cosmetic restorative practices, do a lot of complex doctor production, and that associate comes in and they might have some experience, but maybe they've just kind of worked at a different type of practice and need to prove out that they can do the dentistry. Yeah. So on the clinical side, on the procedure it's almost like the amount and the procedures usually go together. So you typically are not seeing, you know, maybe a 600 GP practice that doesn't refer anything out. The 600 GP practice typically refers everything out. It's these million plus practice that, you know, you call them the super doctors that don't refer anything out. And there are big numbers. And so each of these clinicians now are doing $6,000, $7,000 type days. So the young person that hasn't taken 20 years of CE is a little nervous about doing either implant or, you know, certain surgeries or endo procedures or whatever the case may be. So I always like to look at just the procedure mix of the practice to try to figure out what's making my buyer nervous. Sometimes they say, well, he's doing implants. She's doing implants. That's like, well, how many? Let's see the procedure mix. Yeah, they did 10 implants. Okay. This is not an implant. It's 10 times $2,000. It's 20 grand. He's also, she's also referring out into how many endo cases would that be? Oh, okay. I, you know, that, that makes me feel better. You know, the hygiene is completely underperforming. It's only doing 15% of collections. This should be 33%. So this is under, you know, the guy's not doing this. So you have to look at this to get them that confidence that that is going to work. So I think that just getting them in there and getting them wrapped around, they can do this. And sometimes too, it's legit. Like it is doing 60, 70, 80 implants. It does make me nervous for the buyer. So I really want a confident buyer going into that saying, hey, I've been out for a couple of years. I've placed some implants. I'm taking this amount of implant courses. I'd like to get that underneath my belt for the next six months or a year, whatever. The plan is that I associate, take these courses, get this LANAP training, get this implant, whatever it is, check that off of my nervous list for procedures have him or her in there and allow me to get there and so that it releases some of my anxiety and risk. So from a procedure standpoint, I look at it, like you said, is high level, can I do all of the work? And then what amount of the procedures can I not do? And how am I going to accomplish that? Or if I'm not going to accomplish, I'm not going to do those procedures, how am I going to make up that level of production doing something else? Or perhaps we mitigate it even with an associate contract for that senior doctor to stay on just to do those procedures. I can think of examples of a GP practice that we sold and the senior doctor was doing a bunch of aligner cases, a very abnormal amount of aligner cases. Buyer wasn't trained on it, wasn't really interested in doing that long-term. So we basically figure out a way to have that senior doctor come in and complete those aligner cases. So you have to look at it big picture and say, what can we do to relieve the risk of getting the buyer, the seller, you know, and the bank. So the procedure part, the production part is a big, big part of what we need to 
kind of figure out. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also not only can I do the clinical production and can I manage that aspect of the practice, I think that sellers often forget that a lot of the hesitation comes to you from this whole other side that they don't have a lot any experience in or knowledge in, which is running the business, managing staff and doing payroll and accounting and all of those things that you probably learned as you went and now you do it without thinking or you have people that do it without thinking. That's oftentimes a lot of the anxiety that a buyer has too. You know, working with a client who their buyer basically said, hey, you run one of the tightest ships I know that exist in dentistry and I want to just see it in motion without me being the owner before it happens. And so we're doing an associateship to ownership for him. You know, it really does have to do with him just wanting to see and being able to mimic and being able to kind of see it in motion before the transition quote, quote, messes it up. Right. And he's now the owner and everything's shifting and he just needs that confidence. But the good news is like, you know, for both of these clients, they know that they've both been very vocal about that. There's no hesitation in wanting to, or thinking it's the right practice. It all comes out of a, Hey, I just need a little bit more confidence and I'm sure I'm going to get it the moment I start, but I just don't know. It's like such an unknown territory for the buyer. So I think remembering that from a seller's perspective is also helpful and kind of sharing Pulling back the curtain a little bit on that part of your life, you know, during the diligence and kind of as you're talking to that buyer is helpful to, to kind of say, Hey, yeah, I struggle with this. This is what I don't do well. This is what I do well. This is kind of how I manage it. I come in on Friday mornings or I always make sure I do an hour a day before I leave the office because that helps me not get behind. Like it may seem mundane to you talk about those things, but I think those things are the things that like, you know, all buyers understand what needs to happen, but like, how does that actually happen? I think is an important kind of concept to, to, to talk about. Well, I mean, from the numbers perspective, it makes sense for this buyer to buy this practice. Another practice you're talking about, and it's amazing, well-ran practice and call it a million four practice with a 50% overhead. And so in this case, the buyer is going to make $700,000 out of the gate, but it's so well ran and so well managed that it's making the buyer nervous. Like, okay, well, what happens if the overhead goes up? What happens if I don't have the same, you know, case presentation and case acceptance? What if the patients don't like me because I'm young and they, they see him as this more older, mature you know, he just looks at me and says this and it just gets done. He's very much this commanding voice, not just in the practice, but in the community. And I'm really confident. I just don't have that same level of confidence and all the systems and stuff. He's very business oriented and I'm not. And all of that is causing this anxiety. And so, you know, I, I try to tell my buyers, like, look, if you look at it and you're an associate and you're making 10 grand a month and you can make 50 grand a month, 60 grand a month, you can surround yourself with some good people. Okay. You can, if your office manager is making 18 bucks an hour and you want to hire a really good one at 32 or 34 and let them kind of take over, you want to hire, I don't know, selfishly Kane Waters and help them with all the accounting and the advisory service and let them kind of manage a lot of some of the stresses you're going to have. Make the investment. I mean, I mean that's when you invest back when you're successful is way to delegate things off of your plate that you're quote unquote, not good at, and just allow yourself to be good at the part that you enjoy the most, which most dentists do is dentistry. This guy just happens to be really good at both. 
And he could see his weakness on that. And so I get it. Like, it wasn't like we were saying, dude, you could be making $50,000 more a month in the next six months is 300 grand. Don't do this. We really listened to him and had to kind of like, okay, I get it. Let's figure this out over a six to eight month period, however long it's going to be. Yep. A lot of people will hear this and say, okay, I hear you. I understand that this is maybe something that I might have to do because of how my practice is, or I have this candidate. It's a small town. This is the guy, but I know I know he's going to be coming straight out of school. Isn't going to be able to buy right away. How is this different? How do I make this work? Clearly, I think the first thing people think is how much risk there is in this, right? The first thing a buyer is going to say is, what if I do this and the seller decides not to sell to me and decides they just like having an associate in the practice? The seller is going to say, what if I put in all this and give them all the production because that's what the bank wants and bring them in and introduce them and then they decide not to buy? So what do we need to think about as this person enters your practice to make sure that both parties feel as though they've mitigated as much of this risk away as possible? Before we dive into all these little pieces, what are some high-level thoughts you have about that? Well, to me, the reason these associateships don't work in this particular case or a different case, something similar to this, is hey, I've had a bunch of associates over the last five or six years. I've tried to bring somebody in as a partner. I just somehow, some way failed in this process of leading into there. But what has really ticked me off is the amount of time and energy that I put into them to get them clinically where they need to be, business where they need to be. And they just go down the street or another place and go start up. And so I don't want to do that. So remember, this episode's about, I'm selling 100%. And if you're going to have a condition, then what we want to do is force everybody's hand. So this is forcing everyone to say, hey, buyer, you're going to buy this business. Here's the price for it. We're showing you all the financials. We're showing you how you're going to come in. There's nothing really that's not laid out. And I'm not saying that there's not risk that the buyers still walk away. I'm not saying, buyer, if you're listening, that the seller doesn't get cold feet at the you know 11th and a half hour that they're going to walk away. But I'm saying you put all this work and energy in and lay everything out to the detail of if it's a $16 a foot lease and I'm going to own it and then I'm going to sell it to you to the asset allocation was 82%. You're going to get 31% you know, of your associate. I mean, the details, you have literally ironed it out. The chances of one of you walking away at this point, it's low. It's really, really low. So we're trying to mitigate this risk because again, the risk is that you bring the associate in without a formal plan. And this is again, associate that's going to own, not associate that's just going to be there to try it out. This is, I'm selling to this guy. The only way it's going to work is this associate because one of these reasons. The, the buyer's concern or the bank. This is not a seller concern. The seller wants to sell 100%. So this has to do with the buyer or the bank. Only. Yeah, I hear that a lot. Well, I've had other associates. My first question is that associate is not comparable to what we're talking about. Finding a buyer and finding an associate are two different things. You treat them differently. You look at them differently. Your criteria is different. It's different. And so, you know, if you're in this situation where you're finding a buyer who's going to be an associate, try not to make comparisons against previous associates and what has went wrong. And I 100% agree with you. I mean, I think the big pieces, whatever's big and matters to you, right? Clearly value, closing date, you know, kind of what if I'm going to work back, what is that? Maybe the building. But every now and then there'll just be something that you care about that maybe others wouldn't, right? Like maybe it is, I don't know, um, that your family members can be treated or what your compensation or how long or the schedule that you want to work back, like whatever it is that you feel real strongly about, be transparent, talk to that buyer about those things. 
and lay it all out, right? So that, that there's no surprises down the road that when it comes time to actually sign on the dotted line and exchange money, there's not something that neither of you were expecting. It makes me think about, you know, a lot of these sellers, it's emotional if you try to show them this this road of associate to own, like, I don't want to do that because, you know, I did this and this. And I know we've been on stage together where we've lectured and we played the good cop, bad cop as far as, you know, I'm always the old guy, you're always the young gal. But I love when we get into kind of that role play and I'm the guy that was old and screwed it up over the last five times. And so typically in this lecture that we would give, I would make fun of the senior doctor that basically brought the associates, zero plan of attack, how they're going to be a partner. We're giving them some type of pay tell them the front desk, give them the crappy patients, put them in the back corner, not going to hire valuation team, not going to do this. I'm not going to give them these procedures, not going to put them up on the website, not going to introduce them to this, not going to invest in their CE. And all of a sudden, we're shocked. We're shocked that the associate just left. I mean, and, and the funny thing is I can remember is just like giving these lectures, like husband and wife, depending on who the clinician is, the spouse just like literally giving that big arm you know, next to the other spouse, like, oh my God, that is you. He is talking to you. All the associates that you have failed upon, you know, in that journey. But it's hard. I mean, without a plan, without clearly seeing what's in it for you, associateship to partner can work. And it's a beautiful thing. We've done this not a hundred, but a thousand plus times at this point, between 35 years of history of NDP and Kane Waters, there's a lot of success stories from associate to partner. But this episode is not about that. This is about your past of, I had maybe some associates or not, but I'm just trying to sell. We've got to remove that, all that emotion, all that baggage, that this associate thing, and just say, this is the path to sell. They're just simply going to work for a short period of time to execute into ownership. Yep. So we're going to do the same thing we would do if we were prepping your practice to sell 100% immediately. We're going to do a full financial analysis. We're going to clean up your financials. We're going to come up with a price and we're going to present that to the buyer before they're an associate, before they start in your practice. They're going to see those numbers. They're going to see the price. They're going to understand, okay, the goal is you're going to come in as an associate for three six, nine months, whatever that timeline is, generally it's going to be less than a year, right? So, I mean, this is not a long-term associate. This is something that's short-term prior to ownership. How much are you going to get paid? I would love, ideally in my best world, I have legal docs before they start in your practice so they can see those and we can even have our first pass through them. I don't have to have them signed, but I'd love to have them reviewed. If from a timing standpoint, we can't do that, what we'll do is we'll put together some type of letter of intent or some type of summary of terms, something where we talk about the big rocks from an earlier episode and we talk about all that. I've had the buyer contact multiple lenders. We make sure there are no roadblocks there. We literally at this point in their associate agreement, right, that we'll have drafted up, we'll have transition terms in it. It'll say the value, it'll say the the timeline. So anything that, that could be a stumbling block or that could pose a challenge is being discussed. And another thing for sellers, a lot of times people say, hey, but what if the buyer isn't serious? If a buyer is working with multiple banks and sharing information and doing their diligence there, they've hired an attorney because they're going to have to review legal docs. They probably had a CPA or an accountant look at this financial analysis, or they've at a minimum spent some time with us going over that 
We've talked to them multiple times. There's a lot of areas there where if someone's not serious, you're going to be able to know, right? They're not going to make the investment. They're not going to be responsive. When we talk to them, we're going to hear hesitation or we're going to hear some of those kind of, well, how do I get out of this? Or kind of, what if it doesn't work? We're going to hear those things and be able to share those. And again, humans are humans, right? Like someone can always back out, even if they've done all of those things. But there is a level of investment that makes this person, this buyer different than 10 other associates you've had over your 30 year career, that they're invested in the process, and they want to do this. And you're also communicating with them. That's a big one. Like the seller and buyer should be talking a lot and making plans, which further shows their buy in. I know it's been one episode, one episode, so I talked about dating. But you know, it's been one episode. So in counseling, when you're there with your spouse, and I've been in that space, and then you go have separate counseling, you typically when counseling relationships, you go together and you have private. And the counselor, if it's working with one, they can see the commitment or the lack of commitment, and it's not going to work. It's pretty easy to see. In our relationship, I'm not trying to string out a bunch of $150 bills between the parties and joint. I'm trying to figure out if this is going to work or not, because it's going to be a waste of our time if it doesn't. We will typically shake out those buyers if they are not interested or that buyer sees the value in what we do. They're like, hey, I like this guy and I know I said this, but I got a better deal. Can you help me? And it's like, it's not a problem, but we need to terminate this. Hey, seller, they're going to move different and we'll end up helping that other person because in the end, they're going to make that decision anyway. That's number one. And then number two, a comment that you made is when we build out that financial analysis, we talked about some nerve wracking things for the buyer. So remember, we're only doing this short associate because they're nervous about something and maybe it's the procedures. So one of the things I like that we do is we'll build out and take a look at those procedures that perhaps he or she can't do. Take a look at the overall production collections and already figure out what that is and say, okay, John, you're going to be the buyer. And this was a million dollar practice. We're going to put you at this much clinical at post-close. So I need to build up your production to get there. And then, you know, Susie or whatever, whoever that's, that's going to now, that was the seller, she's going to be, maybe stay on as the associate. Let's build that amount. Let's pay them out. And this is how much you make before debt service and after debt service. And wow, doesn't this look way better than perhaps that corporate job that you were just entertaining that you're going to work for one or two? This is ownership. It's a path to ownership with all your nervousness and think I've eliminated all of it. And now look at you six, nine, 12 months from now. And that's the picture we're painting. And that's why they don't walk away because it, it's a better deal than what they're typically looking at. So anyway, fun. Yeah. And all, I mean, in all the horror stories they have heard from their colleagues and other people that graduated before them about going into a practice and being promised X, Y, or Z buy-in in the future and it never happening, we've knocked all those stones off from the get-go. We've told them the value. We've told them the timing. We've shown them legal docs. The seller is vested. The seller's talking with him. And so the, a lot of their fear comes from the unknown and from hearing the, the horror stories of bad transitions. So we're trying to kind of mitigate those. Okay, question that we often get too is how does a seller introduce that person to their patients and to their staff? Because there is a risk that the person, you know, there's that risk exists in any transition, no matter how everyone's committed 
We always say until money changes hands, until closing day, there's always a risk that something happens and no one can ever, if anyone tells you those risks doesn't exist, they're wrong. We do our best to mitigate them, but then sellers are always a little bit concerned about how to introduce that person, knowing that there's that inkling of a risk back there. And so what is your advice to those sellers who are bringing this associate on who they know is going to be the buyer of the practice? Yeah, I mean, this is after five, six interviews. We're planning for the marriage. We've hired a transition consulting team. Everything is going great. The staff has even met the young man or woman in the practice. They know that there's going to be something that's happening. And now it's a question of what the timing of when we tell the team. And my response to that is that you're constantly telling your team, like, I can't do this forever. And they know that. I mean, they're looking at you, the patients are bringing it up during, you know, hygiene visits or, or if you're a specialist or whatever part of dentistry you and they're always asking, how long are you going to keep doing this? So that's always going to be a question. They, they see how you respond. Oh, I'm going to be here forever. I love, you know, this. The reality is we know and you know that that's just going to be different. So I recommend you get your team together and you say, I love you. And I love everything that we've accomplished here. And I need to figure out a transition plan for me. I can't do this forever. And we're bringing somebody in. And that's going to be a transition to be something new. But I need this for you, for my patients, and just for what we've built here. And I don't know how long I'll be here. This could be a situation where we bring some in, we make them a partner, we sell 100%, and I stay on for an associate for five or 10 years. I don't know. I'm planning on being here as long as the, you know this person wants me here. I want to be here. I feel like I still got a lot to give, but also I just need some clarity of how this 30-year journey is going to end. And I need to make sure that what we have built together, that we keep it going. And that's why we're doing this, guys. It's not I'm leaving and everyone needs to retire and go find different jobs. This We are going to keep this thing that we built and, and not let it miss a beat and keep it successful for the next 30 years. Yep, 100%. And I think that's how pretty much every single one of our associate to owner transitions have happened, right? I think that they've basically not, they haven't been super open with the staff from the very first day the associate steps in the office that, hey, this guy is going to own 100% and we're planning for a May 30th close, but very much that, hey, this is the guy I've chosen I think he's fantastic. I'm excited. I don't know what the future is holding right now, but I know that I can't do this forever. And I'm really excited about this guy or girl. And I think that the staff will thrive off your energy. If you are excited and supportive and just feel like this is the best thing since sliced bread, your staff will too. And then that will flow through to the patients, right? Your patients just need to know someone else has joined your practice and they need to know about him and they need to know how excited you are. And all the same things we would say if you were having a partner join, I would say are totally fine to do here too, right? The website announcement, the something on your front desk, whatever you're comfortable with, but definitely need to make a show of support you individually so that that kind of flows down to staff and then down to patients. Yeah, I mean, it's it's from the beginning how your phone's answered. It's the, it's the website. It's right when they check in. It's the front desk team. It's back to the hygiene team, to the assistants that are there, to the checkout. It's just part of the transition. You're a leader through this process of how it's going to work, and you can lean on somebody like us to guide you through some communication that we're going out to to your patients and even communication you're having in your, kind of your team meeting. So this can work. You don't need to be that anxious about it. I guess it helps us that we're a little anxious, but we're not as anxious as you because we just do it every day. <laughs> but um, it's so rewarding in the end when it all happens, especially when we get the retirement cards and couldn't done it without you. And that's what keeps pushing us daily through this. And um, 
like I said, it's been it's been a fun ride, Christy. It's always fun just to get together and do these episodes. Yeah, it's so good. And it's also these transitions, like you said, I feel like every transition is different and everyone has its own challenges. Everyone is unique, but these are real fulfilling just because I do think that you can see the buyer's confidence and you kind of see them start with, especially when it's, when it's a confidence issue and not maybe a lending issue, you kind of see them growing and kind of by the end, they're like, I got this. I got, I got this. So, you know, this is my practice and usually the sellers will grateful as well. So we'll keep doing them again. They're super unique. They're not for everyone. They're not for every single situation, but they often kind of show up whenever we feel like there's not an option, right? I have someone, but I'm not ready or I have someone, but they're not ready or I have someone, but you know, timing is just a little bit off, but I don't want to lose this person, whether it's the associate to owner or a staggered sale or a partnership. There's always a solution for a transition. We just kind of have to step outside the box and think about it. And that's what our team wants to do. So that's all we have for today, guys. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for supporting what we do. Got to give a big shout out to the over 100,000 listens. Yes, ma'am. 100,000 plays, girl. We're so grateful that you listen and share us. And so thanks for everything. And remember to subscribe wherever you listen. And until next time, friends. All right. We'll see you. Thanks, guys. Bye.